Hey, this is Jimmy Jelinek, and we're live from the dojo for Playboy's Naked City podcast. If I ever got my act together and added some video to this bitch, you'd see a shot-for-shot -shot remake of a Hoarders episode. All we need are some dead cats and a six-month-old half-eaten sandwich from Jimmy John's, and we would be off to the races. Nothing, and I mean nothing, gets thrown away in here. And that's sort of the theme of today's show, not throwing things away in the metaphorical sense, if I want to get really pretentious. In this case, it's nostalgia and it's quickening pace. Thanks to YouTube and the interwebs, we live in a wonderland of cultural detritus and its distance from when something happened until it becomes quote-unquote past keeps getting shorter and shorter right now we are in the midst of peak 90s there's a clinton running for president friends is on netflix there's normcore and bands i forgot about from 1995 are cashing in with nostalgia tours and anniversary albums and the captain of this ship of this nostalgia trip art alexakis and his band everclear are celebrating the 20th anniversary of their platinum seller sparkle and fade if you remember them at all it's for their song Santa Monica which was as sticky as a piece of corn stuck in a bleached flavor saver roundly mocked in present day Alexakis gave no fucks gives no fucks and is about as peak 90s as you get with a fully loaded Summerland tour with other forgotten 90s relics like the Toadies Fuel and American Hi-Fi while Pitchfork reading Dusharati may mock his work and the whole nostalgia racket this guy still gets to play his guitar for a living while the rest of us rot inside cubicles Fitzgerald wrote that there's no second acts in American lives, but Alexakis is on his ninth. Everclear chugs along, and he gets to play his guitar for a fucking living. It's work for sure, but it beats anything else. I recently sat down with Art to talk about this notion and a whole lot more. So without further ado, it's fun time, people. Brian, roll tape. Welcome to Naked City, the Playboy podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Jelnick, and today we are with Art Alexakis. Perfect. Perfect pronunciation. Perfect. How Fantastic. Are you? Lead singer, visionary <laughs> of well, Everclear. I have glasses. That helps. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We were talking earlier, so you're going out this summer. Yeah. We're sort of in peak 90s right now. Friends is back on the air on Netflix. We've got this normcore style. So you guys are like right in the sweet spot of this 90s nostalgia revival. It seems like that. We've been doing Summerland for four years, though. So it's like, you know, I, I, I knew that there was going to be a 90s thing coming. I got tired of waiting for it. So we just started doing Summerland like four years ago because it seemed like people missed those bands. What is Summerland? Just Summer in case people don't know about it. Summerland is a tour that I put together every year, and it's 90s alternative bands that were big back in the day, but are still bands today. That is a pretty hard criteria. I have two criteria. One, you got to play your hits. Two, you've got to be a real band. You can't be just a mothball band where you sit around getting fat, eating <laughs> in and out, drinking Starbucks macchiatos all day, and then waiting for your royalty checks, and then go out and play your hits once a year. <laughs> Not cool. Not my thing. It's cool if that's what you want to do. Yeah, Not my thing. No karaoke. No karaoke. So who's on it this summer? This summer is a just kind of a balls-out rock show. This is bands that I've been trying to get for a while. Uh, Everclear, of course. We've got a brand new record coming out on um, April 28th called Black is the New Black. And then we've got the Toadies, band from Texas, one of my favorite bands from the 90s. Um, Fuel, great band from Pennsylvania, 
and uh, American Hi-Fi, which most of the guys are from L.A. How big are the venues for that? It goes between 1,500 to like 6,000. Right. Yeah. What's the, um, is there like a bigger concentration somewhere? Like where do you guys index the highest, like with this tour? Um, It depends. I mean, we do really well on the East Coast. We do well in the Midwest. We do well on the West Coast. Right. I say we do more numbers probably in the Midwest and East Coast, but we play smaller venues on the West Coast and tend to do well. Like last year we did the uh, House of Blues on Sunset. That's awesome. Which isn't going to be there anymore. They're that's tearing, not? Now they're tearing it down at the end of June. It's going to be a fucking condo or something? They're, that's all going to be hotels they're trying to get rid of. What hotel? All the Sunset Strip. What, what hotel? I don't know. Not that like the House of Blues is not like a corporate money-making machine, but it's still, it seems like it's been a fixture of... It has been a fixture. ...of the Strip in a way. It has. In the Foundation Room. Foundation Room. I played all those places, but they're trying to get rid of the Roxy, which I don't think they're going to be able to, but they're going to get rid of the Whiskey and the Viper Room. I mean, that's crazy. It's the soul of the, Absolutely. the, the strip, for sure. Phil Spector left. <laughs> I know, that's where he left. Somebody. I know, there's there's history I know, there. people have died outside of every one of those venues. And inside. And um, inside, too. Yeah. But I've got history at all those places. I mean... When the Sunset Strip took a dip for me when they closed Tower Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a big deal. That was a big deal for when, me. When did that close? I don't know when it closed. It closed, I think, probably early 2000s. Um, was that right? Is that Was that by Carney's Caboose? It was right no, next to it. No, no it's down from there. Um, it's, it's like right as you're going through... Um, all of my geographic markings are based on where I can get food, so it's like okay. Uh, so let's see. So there's a fancy Italian restaurant right there. What's and there's the French restaurant right across. The I, street. I I vaguely remember the sign. Well, at least Amoeba's still open. It's like once well, once Amoeba closes, that's like the that's, that's like the, the death knell. The, the 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 apocalypse. Yeah, it is the apocalypse. Is is upon us. So let's go way back here. So let's just sort of start from. So you live in Pasadena. I do. Love it. So it must be bucolic, like just bucolic. I wouldn't call it bucolic. Not around my house. All right. But um, no, it's a livable place. I don't live on the west side, even though I love the west side. I grew up on the west side. I like to tell people I work in the entertainment business, but I don't live in the business. Yeah. I don't want to live in the business. That's smart. I don't want to live around people who everyone's trying to do favors for everybody else. No. It's not my thing. Do you dip into like the, the Chinese restaurant scene in the in the San Gabriel Valley? I'm just now getting into it. Yeah, actually. yeah, it's good, right? Yeah, I from what I hear, yeah. I, I went to Korean food yesterday. That was killer. I like Korean food. Oh, I get? love Korean food. Just any kind of meat with red chili paste and over vegetables and I love uh what's the stuff that my wife hates? The funky Kimchi. Kimchi. If you bring it to your house you have to move. Yeah. I, I think that's the rule. We had like a quart of it in our house once and we got it. Is that a bad idea? We got it at like Costco. <laughs> my wife. Was, it, was pro- it was probably good. You no, know, it was like a gallon of it. But the problem is we never opened it and like it expands. And oh, yeah. like the house started to stink. We're like, is there a dead dog in here? And it was. Well, I had some, uh, I, I don't know if you know, it's rare, but Menon had a kimchi flavored scented stick for a while. And that was good for the tour bus. Really? Oh. 
No. <laughs> that would be awesome. You smell like... Kimchi. Smell like cabbage. Actually. Smell like cabbage. Fermented, anyway. fermented chili cabbage. Yeah, exactly. Though on our tour bus, it would work really well because we're all dudes that eat. We're, I cook on the bus. We, we so you guys are foodies and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's when you come to Summerline and you go backstage, there's still, like, good-looking girls walking around, but not so many because most of the guys will, like, watch a hot chick walk by and go, yeah, and then turn to each other and go, yeah, but did you try the brisket <laughs> catering? Was that rub or was that a marinade? Is what that a good think? marinade? Yeah. yeah. That's much more important as you get a little bit older. I right? think so. I yeah. think it's like food, you know. Yeah. I got my wife. What do I need? I exactly. I feel like, uh, especially with foodies, it's like as like the record stores, the stereotype of the obnoxious record store nerd, he's been replaced by like the artisanal foodie. Oh, he hasn't been replaced. He's the same guy. No, he's become that guy he's as that he's guy. grown up. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. And this is a guy that, that probably couldn't tell you the difference between Del Taco and Taco Bell like <laughs> 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I know. That's the thing. I get my nerd on. I love food. I love all sorts of food. I love street food. I love like fancy food. I love it all. But I get my nerd on for, for cigars. Really? That's my thing. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm a cigar guy. I don't know anything about cigars. Love cigars. So you get like, see, I don't want to like bust you out, but you get like the Cuban shit. No, and... I'm not a Cuban fan. I like Cubans okay. I'll have a Cuban. They're, they're, it's not that big of a deal to get Cubans. Oh, really? In LA, yeah. Or anywhere in the States if you go to the right stores and People don't really care. It's I mean, can like, that be an expensive hobby, cigars? Like so, if, yeah. No, I, I, my favorite cigars are Nicaraguan cigars. Okay. Yeah. Have you been to Nicaragua? No. I've been. That's awesome. No, I've been to El Salvador. Right on. Close. So, I mean, like, like what can you spend on, on a cigar? Um, A normal cigar. I mean, uh, I know an El Producto because I roll blunts and stuff. But, but like, like, not the same thing. No, no. I know. <laughs> so the, what's the, uh, I mean. Anywhere from like a normal cigar it depends on what size you want and what you're looking for and what your flavor is. I tend to like smaller, thinner cigars. Right. I used to like big, manly cigars, but they're really not any more stronger because the flavor all comes from the wrapper, not from the filler. So I spend somewhere between 10 and 20 bucks for a cigar. Okay. Yeah. I like the thin ones. You like Outlaw Josie Wales, or you like a, <laughs> like a cheroot. There's a cheroot? Yeah. No, nah, I've never had a cheroot, actually. Dying ain't much of a business. All right, so, so you're in Pasadena, so you're married. How many kids do you have? I have two children from two different marriages. Okay. Yeah. I have a 22 going on 23-year-old. She lives in Portland. Um, she graduated college? She did graduate From college. where? She went to Sarah Lawrence College and spent a year at Oxford. Fancy. Yeah, she's fancy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> my, my younger daughter is uh, seven, going to be eight in November light of my life right now and she just or her and her mom of course she goes to Montessori school and she's just those two girls couldn't they look similar they couldn't be more different more different I have a nine year old so so you have two yeah you have one child no I have two but I don't the peace people have three children I, I, I please why what the fuck are you thinking Do you have a boy and a girl yes see you're done I'm totally done that's done I'm totally done did you and your wife like high five after yeah, you had yeah, sex yeah. the second yeah, time yeah I'm like, it's like I'm going to the vasectomy store right now just like cut it off yeah and I keep saying I'm going to do that. I haven't done it yet. Have you done it? I keep going to the doctor to make the appointment. And and, then I, and, then I <laughs> and your friend's like, don't do it. No, they do it. Um, well, one of my friends no, did it. By your I, friend, I mean your penis. Yeah, that guy. But then my friend went and did it. He went to some, they do some special thing. And then his balls like swelled to the size of a grapefruit. And they're mm -hmm. all bruised. And Awesome. He showed them to me. And I was like, I, 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 I can't. 
Don't show me that. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't let me see that at, at all. Yeah, I don't understand why. Like who? Like why? It's like three kids. You go from like man on man to zone. It's like what are you, are you showing off that you have good sperm or something? Or I guess some people like big families and stuff like that. Yeah, but a big it's relative, man. When I was a kid, a big family was like five to seven people. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. seven kids. Why the hell would you want that many kids? Yeah, it's like the Waltons. Or are you just like yeah, it is like the Waltons. Good night, Jim Bob. <laughs> I, um, good night, Art. Good night, Art, Bob. Good night, Dad. Um, <laughs> I was the youngest of five kids, and uh, that was considered a medium-sized family back in the early 60s when I was born. So you grew up, you're first in Santa Monica, mm -hmm. then you moved to Mar Vista Projects. Well, I moved. we moved to, with my dad was still there, we moved to Redondo Beach okay. and lived there for about a year, and that's when things just kind of exploded and... My mom left, and my dad left, and my mom got stuck with... But we, we had these this two-house lot in Redondo Beach, and all my mom wanted was just my dad. They were both on the mortgage, right? Right. All he had to do was sign this thing. He didn't get any money, but he didn't cost him any money. He was gone. It was just free, easy to go. He goes down to meet there, and I would have grown up in a house. You know, How old were you at that point? Uh, six. Were I you gonna, pretty well to do at that point? No, no. we were like middle class, middle lower class. middle class. Right. You know? And then he goes to the meeting and sits there across from everybody. He's got the paper there to sign. And then he just goes, this shows that you need me, you stupid bitch. I'm not signing it. Walks away. Gets in the car and drives to Florida. So then what happens? So they foreclosed on the house. And then you guys had, so all five of you moved. Well... At that point, my oldest sister had already gotten out of the house. She had gotten pregnant and married in that order. But there was three kids still living at home. My brother was in and out of juvenile hall, so I wouldn't know if he still was at home. I guess technically. Right. Yeah. All right. So he would have been 15. Okay. He died when I was 12 of an overdose okay. at the age of 21. That's crazy. And then you started using right after that. Well... I started I started smoking pot when I was nine. I did acid for the first time when I was 11. Jesus. Uh, I started shooting speed when I was 13. Yeah, you know, sexually active from the age of 12 on. Grew up quick in the project. Yeah. Grew up quick. Todd Bridges also grew up there. Did you know him? Yes, he did. I did not know him. But you knew, that he, I was just saw that. Len Swan grew up there too. Len Swan as well. The football player? Yeah, yeah. But Todd was only two years younger than you. Yeah, I didn't know. He must have went. There was two project schools, like elementary schools. Right. Uh, there was uh, Stoner Avenue and Braddock Drive, and I went to Braddock, so he might have went to Stoner. Right. Yeah. I'm just a Different Strokes fan, so. Different Strokes. <laughs> Randomness. Yeah, didn't he go? He went through a lot of like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His was later, though. Yeah. You did yours in the reverse order. Well, yeah, but if I'd have been a kid actor, I, I, I'm sure I would have done a really great job of falling apart as a teenager i'm glad i got all this out of me before the uh whole band thing yeah that's what i, I think is fascinating it's like most people get famous then they get fucked up yeah i was fucked up first yeah and then you I got had more famous. to draw from yeah but you, yeah you had more to draw from and then i guess people in recovery too there's an ambition there because you're trying to make up for lost time oh yeah well i mean when you say recovery i, I mean i'm an addict i've been an addict right. my whole life pretty much i uh just, you know, I'm 53. I got clean off of dope when I was 21, 22, 22. And I got um, sober when I was 20, 
nine. Because you were still drinking a little bit? A lot. A lot. But you weren't an opiate guy. You were more of a Coke speed guy, right? Yeah, but I, I like opiates, too. Right. Who doesn't? Um, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, no, no, I, I like The it. devil's dance. Yeah, I like um, heroin. I liked, uh, that was before all the designer opiates that are out there now that you can just take a pill, like hillbilly heroin. Or I know. Oxycontin. That wasn't around. Best we had was quaaludes. Right. But they were awesome. I know. I'd pay $1,000. We were joking around one day after we saw The Wolf of Wall Street, and I was with our art director, and we're like, he was like, I would pay $1,000 for a quaalude right now. You'd be ripped off. Oh, I know. But they don't it's exist. You'd have to go to Serbia. It's, I mean, it's not weird. Serbia. <laughs> we're just joking around. Man, this is the finest of Serbian. <laughs> the finest Serbian. Seven, seven, finest Serbian loot in the world. 714, dude. I actually have a war t-shirt that I got off the internet for 714. So I was, I was reading somewhere that... Um, your crew, you guys used to break into houses and like and like go through medicine cabinets and stuff. Yeah, when I was in junior high school, which they don't call junior high school anymore; they call middle school. Middle school, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I went to Marina Del Rey Junior High School, which was about four blocks from the project, but it was like a universe away because now I was going to school with kids who weren't from the project, right? And I didn't know kids like that except from Little League before. Right. Like the one time I went home with a kid from Little League to play with them, and his mom found out where I lived and made me go home. No way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you, so you go to these kids' houses and you'd no, be like, what's your know, mom's medicine It's an after school, you know, she's making <laughs> cookies. You know, they live in a house. And I'm like, wow, this, this is like the Brady Bunch. You know, I grew up as a kid looking at the Brady Bunch and I looked nothing like my life. Right. Who didn't want Mike Brady to be your dad? I, I mean, come on. Gay or not, who cares? Exactly. I'd make it, we can make it work genetically. I don't care. I wanted the attic. I wanted the Greg Brady attic. Huh? I wanted the Greg Brady attic. Remember when he moved upstairs? That, oh, yeah. That was the shit. Yeah. With the beads. Yeah. Like every bad. every space that I occupy is an attempt to recreate Greg Brady's room, really. I got some stories. I don't know if I should tell them. Tell them. Either. You can't, you, <laughs> you can't like lay that out like. I a, can. No, you can't lay that I out can. like a meatball it's, and not tell me though. It's passive aggressiveness. I get it from growing up with women. You, you, you can't, you can't hold that against me. I won't, but tell just. Okay. Come All on. All right. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I, when I was 16, 17, living in Santa Monica, a friend of mine who was one of my best friends, I was one of the only guys out of car at a 69 Camaro. Pretty badass, all jacked up on oh, craters and stuff. Sweet. It was sweet. So I was everybody's ride. So I got to do a lot of stuff. Right. You know? And uh, my friend who lived next door to me was like, I would go pick him up, and then he, he would get he'd get us high, and we we we'd hang out. He parked cars for this really fancy apartment building up on Wilshire Boulevard right. in Westwood. Just just. I guess it would be east of Westwood, you know, right, as, right, yeah. as you're getting close to Beverly Hills. Yeah. There. And one of the girls that worked there was one of the girls from the Brady Bunch. And she would bring home different African-American men every night. Which one? Can't tell you. Jan, Marcia. No. Well, it's got to be one of them. Yeah, it's got to be one of them. You're just shooting in a barrel. Yeah, I'm playing, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing a, a elimination. Wasn't Jan. Okay. Wasn't... Jan, I've got another story about all right, tell me the Jan story. No, 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 no. Okay, I'll tell you. Um, Jan was the uh, uh, a friend of mine who played hockey, played with Jan's brother when he was kids, and used to go over to Jan's house and 
they they had a big bus out in the back and up in Malibu and um, would make out with Jan when she was like. You have crazy connections to the fucking Brady Bunch. I know. I couldn't get away from it, man. Just, but my house, my, my life looked more like 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 Sanford and Son. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chico and the Man. Total <laughs> good Chico times. and the Man. You just threw out some some Freddie Prince on me, man. Yeah, good times. So JJ. Love JJ. So um, there's something we were talking about when you were in here last time. Is is how you know one of the reasons you know you living in Pasadena, and I was talking about how when I was living in Chicago, I I, I hated living there because I was like, the idea of being confronted by your past on a daily basis is like is the most intrusive, awful thing. You know, like everywhere I walk, there was it's like I'm returning to this the scene of a crime, or it's, or it's like. Or someone knows you, or it's like, oh, there you are. How's the Playboy? You're just like, oh, get the fuck out of my face. Or not only, but partly that, but also, this is a place probably where I, were you like doing really well when you lived there before or not so well? I mean, I wasn't like, because I didn't live hard. I mean, I was, I was, I was a pretty, was a I go to Venice and Santa Monica, and that's like where my addicted years were when I was like living on the street sometimes or living in on people's couches. Right. That's not a real positive time for me. No. So, you know, I it's my home and I, I love it, but at the same time, Pasadena is just a, a new place for me. Where, yeah. Where, you know, I mean, you've got family. I I, I go home at night and I pick up my kid and we, we cook dinner and we, we ride around the, the, yeah, the, yeah. the block and I'm taking off her training wheels and, you know, that's what I do in Pasadena. Yeah. And, it's awesome, and we love it. And then if I want L.A., I go to L.A. If I want West Side, I go to West Side. So I was reading somewhere that you saw, when you were 16, you went to San Francisco to see the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Was that the Fillmore show? Like, the most, like that's the most... Horrible show. But legendary. Legendary, but it was horrible. It was just absolutely horrible. Like Sid Vicious couldn't stand up. Yeah, I mean, it was just... The coolest thing I got from that was seeing the Avengers. Right. You know, the, the, which was a San Francisco punk band at the time. They were cool. The Nuns and the Avengers. I missed the Nuns. It came in just as the Nuns were finishing, but I saw the Avengers. So that was 78. You were 16. When did you move to San Francisco? I moved to San Francisco in the Christmas time, 1987. I actually got there, drove into town um, New Year's Day, 1988. With my wife after we had moved all our stuff up right. there. My first wife. And you started, you you were in a band, but you were also running a label too, right? It was Shindig? Yeah, that came later. That, okay. that was after I'd been there. When I first went up there, when I first went to San Francisco, I had a job waiting for me to manage a record store. And my my wife at the time had a job. We'd done it right, right? And right. my whole band was going to move up. My band, Shaking Brave, was going to move up there with us and then... The week before, I get a call from my drummer, and he doesn't want to move, and uh, the guitar pl bass player is not going to move. And then the New Year's Day, I threw my back out carrying stuff up our five-foot-floor walk-up in the Western Edition, totally threw my back out, went to my job on the day, and the guy's like, you can barely walk, man. You can't do this job. <laughs> and so didn't get the job. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was a rough start, but I... You know, stuck it out. Love San Francisco. Um, there was a darkness about it that I was really attracted to. The fog and the you no, know, just a darkness of attitude. And, right. 
and just pervasiveness, you know. It it was counterculture. It was like had that dark punk rock right. um, alternative culture before a lot of places in the Northwest that claimed that's where it came from. I saw it in San Francisco. It was sort of like that. The axis swung from the from sort of the hippie thing to more of a from the punk to like yeah something beyond it kind yeah of combining that or, or taking it to that's like the cat that's like the gutter punk capital of of America it is yeah it's like and I was there in the eighties when uh, Reagan was still president and he cut funding to all the mental hospitals across the country and gave them basically his administration gave all these inmates pushed them out on the street gave them a a ticket, bus ticket to either San Francisco or New York. <laughs> True story. San Francisco's homeless population quintupled. That's crazy. In the first three months. And then that number quintupled in the next year. I mean, it went from like 4,000 to like 35,000 in a year. Crazy. Just that, street people everywhere. That is crazy. So is that you do a lot of political activism. You, you worked on a bill with Nancy Pelosi. Not, Not with Nancy Pelosi. Actually, two with a Republican and a Democrat. Right. It was a bipartisan bill with Henry Hyde, who's since passed, but um, and um, Representative Swan uh, from Northern California. They had come up with a bill that was called the Deadbeat Dad Bill, which was H.R. 1488. And I went and spoke in front of a Senate and a House subcommittee trying to get them to vote on that bill. And it looked like it was going to pass with bipartisan support, and, and that was early 2000, and it was going for a vote sometime right before the break, and then the election of 2000 happened, the Gore-Bush election, right. and ever since then, there's been no bipartisan anything. No, it's just grinding. Everything grinds to a halt. To a halt. Yeah, so which I kind of like. I kind of I, I kind of prefer inaction to action. But I mean, <laughs> why? Because it's just like I feel like the, anything they touch, they fuck up. You know, it's just like I'd rather have zero legislation happen uh, from you know. But I but I'm, I'm sort of being jocular at the same time. You need you know the idea of free health care and and the deadbeat well, dad bill. And I mean that must have been really important to you based on well the deadbeat the deadbeat dad bill. What that did is for a lot of people that don't know is that in this country, there are judgments every year over $125 million of unpaid child support. So basically people go to the judge, judge says, yes, they owe this money, boom, pay this money. And over $125 million of it doesn't get paid. And what this would have done is this would have made it, an organization would have grabbed that money from you. They're called the IRS. And nobody screws with the IRS. No. You don't get away with it, ever. <laughs> but right now, it goes through county or state, and right. people will move next door, or they'll put it in their girlfriend's name, or they'll have someone at work that will change their title every three months, so they avoid paying child support. You had your own issues with the IRS, though, 2006. Like, that was... 2005. I'm, I'm sorry, 2005. So you had, obviously, the the record, the traditional record industry collapsed. Like, you, you were off capital records at that point. And mm-hmm. was that just like you were living, you were used to living it? No, nothing like that. What happened? I gave all my money to my ex-wives. Oh, okay. So you, yeah. It's documented. <laughs> I didn't live large. I didn't have houses and cars and stuff like that i had business people working for me at the time that weren't telling me what was going on and i was busy making money 
and I made a lot of money. And I found out in 2004 that even though they told me I, they paid my taxes and I had paperwork saying they paid my taxes, it never gotten filed and never gotten paid. Were you able to go after them for no. pardon? No. Really? Yeah. Why not? Cause you because signed. nothing was signed. That's probably a lesson for future. Yeah. Don't trust anybody. <laughs> yeah. Do it yourself. I, I tell that to people all the time. And these are people that went on to be very successful. Right. But they're, they're shysters. So you had to dig yourself out. You, you wound up having to, to sell your, your publishing rights to your I music. Did. I did. I'd do it again. I got me out of, I, you know, the whole time that I was doing this, I was going through custody battles with my eldest daughter's mom who decided that that would be a great time to uh, hit me up for more money even though I was making way less money than I was making before and I was paying her five times what I was supposed to be paying her Jesus. so I fought her in court asked right. my daughter what she wanted me to do and she said I want you to fight for me so I went to court and fought and won that's great um, and then I didn't I then I just said let's keep it the way it is co-custody that's the way to go reduce my child support still played child support but reduced it you guys on good terms now or no. is it like just in the past no I don't talk to them no. so how many are there three in the past or two in the past that you had to pay wives ex-wives well there's three but I only had to pay two and really I only pay, had to pay one right right but the third one was a trophy wife. Oh, okay. She was young and. You got a trophy wife? I had one. I want a trophy wife. Hey. I'm gonna get in trouble for my well, wife. Well, my for wife now kind of looks like. Yeah, she's a trophy. I see a picture of yes, my wife. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, she kind of looks like a trophy wife. She's pretty hot. She is hot. I'm gonna go on record. Art's wife is super hot. So if you're listening, you're you are an attractive. See, lady. she's always worried about me coming to Playboy. She has nothing to no, worry nothing about. Nothing to worry about. We're nothing just, to worry. Good, 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 wholesome family. Good wholesome family as I'm looking at the blow up doll behind you. No, she's she's just she's she's really nice. Is she a good girl? There's no holes in her. She put a dress on. She's, There's no holes? No, she's a cuddle doll. She's not a fuck doll. Is really? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Let's see this. No. It says respect. Yeah, there's no penetrable orifices on her whatsoever. <laughs> you just you can't you can't touch her, you can't fuck her or anything. You just sort of just cuddle. Just cuddle. It's a Do you cuddle guys cuddle on for naps on the sometimes? Couch? And I'm feeling vulnerable. I take my yeah. I take. My, you guys ever go in the chair? We go in the chair. We go on the sofa. It's just it's just a thing that I like to do. You've got frosted glass. It doesn't matter. Exactly. I can, I can do anything. Yeah. So. You know, I am interested in the sort of the Fitz, you know, Fitzgerald aspect where people say there's no second <laughs> second acts in American lives. You've had like nine lives. It's just like you. It's it's amazing in terms of your ability, just from surviving your background to becoming platinum selling recording artist to maintaining that success to being an A and R executive as well to having some schmucks lose all your money and then having to figure out kind of how to start over again in a business that has completely fucking changed just totally disappeared yeah, yeah so yeah. it's it's weird um i'm just you know my mother raised me i didn't i learned how to be a man from a woman my mom my mom was from the deep south right her and my dad were like a fucked up psycho where were they from lucy and ricky he's greek Straight okay. off the boat. Well, actually, he was born in this country, but sent back when he was two because my grandmother, his mother ran off with a fuller brush salesman. 
True story. So grandpa wanted to like marry again. So he just shipped both of his sons to his folks back in Greece. My dad grew up in Greece, but was a U.S. citizen and then came back, couldn't speak any English, went in the service and served in Japan. Did very well. Got Purple Hearts and Medal of Honor. I met your mom. Where was your mom from? My mom was from Asheville, North Carolina. She was a hillbilly. Nice town, though. Yeah, very pale, freckled, red hair. I guess a friend of my mom's, my, my dad was running a like a diner, and he had a sign up in the window for an, a waitress. And that's before we called them food servers. We right. called them waitresses. Because Greeks are the stereotypically yeah. own diners Cook. in America. That's like yeah. the one. I was cooking when I was four years old. Right. I love to cook to this. Every day. every one of my Greek friends, someone in their family owns a diner. Yeah, or or some sort of restaurant. Yeah, some type of restaurant. It's in my bones. I would love to start a restaurant. It's the worst business thing you can right. do, but I would love to start a restaurant. Yeah, but that's another story. Were you immersed in Greek culture then? No, because my dad wasn't around. Oh, okay. But okay. my mom, my mom, when she married my dad, she went to Greek school, learned how to speak Greek. Not that she spoke it. Back. Did they have a Greek Orthodox wedding? Um, I doubt it. I probably got. I think they got married. Okay, I've been to one. They They already had two kids by the time they got married in the fifties. I've been to a Greek Orthodox. I was in a Greek Orthodox wedding. Yeah, I've been been to one of those. Lasted for like six hours. They're awesome. My legs almost collapsed. Yeah, I'm surprised you weren't in jail. I know. I'm lucky. (laughs) So I okay. So they met. How'd they end up? And and then they moved to California. They moved. They met in North Carolina. My dad had a, a diner, and uh, this one girl who was a friend of my mom's wanted my mom to go along with her, and uh, she was going to uh, to apply for the job. They walk in. My dad looks at both of them and goes, you get the job. My mom's <laughs> like, I'm not trying to get a job. Well, you get the job if you want it. That was my dad, Mr. Silvertongue. Mr. Charm. Mr. Charm. He did. He's got game because he's really not very Are good both looking. your parents still living? No, my mom passed away in 2006. Okay. My dad's still alive, but I don't talk to him. Right. Yeah, he must. he's 93. Holy shit. Yeah. He, last time I saw him, he looked like a Greek version of Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> Did he come back? Was he one of those dads who, like, once you became famous, was like, hey, what's up, son? A little bit. So that must have been difficult, but yeah. no. Until I wrote Father of Mine, and then I didn't hear from him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you did me proud with that song, son. Well, Dad, it's true. It's honest. <laughs> it's honest, yeah. That's the story. So you're raised by your mom. So, like, what? She's just tough as nails. You know, my mom was from the Deep South. She chain smoke cools. Her living in a housing project in an African-American, Hispanic neighborhood was rough for her. Right. Even though she didn't think she was racist, she was born in the Deep South during the Depression. Right. She had those things. But she got over them over the years you know it took her a while but to me it was a blessing more than a curse i mean some bad things happened to me in the projects i got sexually abused really bad when i was eight beat up and raped my brother died of a drug overdose there was all sorts of things going on i'm working on a book right and that's that's going to be interesting i think if that ever comes out but um the blessing was that i just learned to enjoy and respect every culture yeah and learned how to be more colorblind than i i think i normally would have been you know it's hard on my mom when i bring home black hispanic girls she didn't dig that no but she didn't dig it when i brought home jewish girls either yeah (laughs) i mean yeah i don't know what was worse to be honest with what was acceptable nothing was acceptable 
Uh, you were her, you were her baby, and yeah, you couldn't but, bring anything home. But she's home? just like. Then I told her that I was going to be celibate, and she goes, "You can't do that. That's bad for you. You're a man. You can't do that." My mom was a hillbilly, right? She just, <laughs> but she had a heart. She had a huge heart, right? She loved me fiercely. She was always there for me from the moment I was born to the moment she died. So when you were going through your shit and you were using and stuff like that, how how was that for her? Like was it's she hard. was she a especially drink- after she lo- after she lost my brother from a drug right. overdose? Was she a drinker too? Like was no, no nothing. My mom was moderate. Right. The, the, the whole addict thing, I think the gene came from someone in her family, but her and my dad were like pretty moderate. Right. They weren't addict type people. The only thing she ever got addicted to was cigarettes, which everybody did in the 70s. Right. It was but good my, for you then. My dad, yeah, it was four out of five doctors, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> but my dad wouldn't, didn't even get addicted to cigarettes. He was, a, a pack of cigarettes would go stale on him. Right, right. Which I, pisses me off just to this day. It's just like, I'm, I'm the type of person, if you're out with me, and even today, I don't drink. If you're not finishing your beer, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, you can't leave that dead soldier. Yeah, finish your beer. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Yeah. There's kids in China. I, I wanna, there's kids in China that would, I want to watch. I can't do that, so I'm going to watch you drink it. Damn it! Yeah, foam and all. Do yeah. it. Backwash. Do it. Slurp it down. So I so you think it came somewhere back in the family, but it must also must have been a context of, of the abuse of, of your environment, abandonment. Yeah, the whole thing. Sure. Yeah, of I mean, there's a lot of issues there. Nature and nurture. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. It, it had a lot to do. With I mean, I have I have my own mental health team. I've got two shrinks. It's it's cool. It's California style. I love it. Yeah. And I can like pit them against one another and awesome. <laughs> see which you, one's they're, they're both for you or was one a couple's? No, they're both for me. Oh, okay. We have a couple's one too. So and actually, then a so I actually have three. Wow. It's fantastic. It's like putting Humpty Dumpty back together. Do you get that built into your contract here to pay no, for that? I mean, I, no, I mean, no, it's like a necessary evil though. Of, no, of, I know. <laughs> I know. Of keeping myself sane. I know. I get it. It's self maintenance. Yeah. It's like tuning up the car. I get it. I've been through so much analysis and psychotherapy that I know the lingo really well. Right. There was a time when I thought I'd be a life coach, and I took some courses on right. life, life coaching. Last thing I want to do is hear other people's problems. No, no. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I'm only interested in my own problems. I, just <laughs> want, I want people to pay me to come hear my problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How do you to, do that? I've got enough problems. I'm like, <laughs> I need to solve mine first. I got problems for you. Yeah. Your problems, yeah. not that bad. Yeah, exactly. That's like, you got uptown problems, buddy. Um, <laughs> so your brother, you said like he was in and out of juvie and stuff like that. And yeah. was he just like born wild or was he, was he affected more by the, by the divorce? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was. And just, he was just at that era. That was when the sixties, when things were exploding, you know, and yeah. the Beatles and everything and drugs. And once he started doing drugs, I, it never, it's like, woohoo. Yeah. It's hard. So and and I can't I can't really judge those people back then because it was like it the whole world changed. Not we don't know anything like. And there that. wasn't the support for addiction. There wasn't the you know it was it was like people was thought people still thought still the fifties. Yeah, people don't thought. Don't be a sissy. Deal with it. Hey, coke. It gives you energy. It's no problem. You got a drinking problem? What are you a loser? What are you? Yeah, it that was the kind of prevalent attitude at yeah. the time for sure. Uh, Pull and, your bootstraps up. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Who has bootstraps? Nobody. I'd love to see some boots. It'd be kind of sexy. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to have some myself. Yeah. I was watching uh, the documentary. Was it, is it the other F word? The other F word. Yeah, which is really about punk rock dads. That's the F word. Yes. Father. But what was really 
resonant in that movie was how it was most people's relationships with their children. All the guys that were really featured, most of them, their context was marked by the absence of their own fathers in their lives. Not all, but not all, but yeah. or like a really contentious relationship. Like yeah. they grew up with, like a you know somebody who may not have been absent or in, just didn't care. Yeah, just yeah. apathy. Yeah. Like Fat Mike from uh, No FX, his dad just didn't care. You know, Fat Mike doesn't care either, but it's kind of charming. But he's a good dad. <laughs> he's a good dad. I mean, he's great. I love he's Fat great, Mike. I like Mike. No, I, lo I love great. No Effects. I love Mike. And, and that band, I mean, one of the great things is the, the movie originally started from a book called Punk Rock Dad written by Jimmy Lindbergh, my buddy from uh, Pennywise. When the two gals were making the movie, uh, Andrea and Kristen started talking to him about making the movie, he's like, well, you should talk to these other guys. You should talk to Flea and... And Mike and from NoFX and Art from Everclear and all these other guys who've been doing the rock and roll punk rock daddy thing for a long time. I mean, you and Flea were the, that was the most emotionally resonant when Flea was watching his daughter play the piano. Yeah, he was and, crying. Yeah. And his daughter's like, Dad. Yeah. I like the story she tells, like, there's a scary guy out in the hallway at school. And she's like, oh my God, that's my dad. <laughs> Growing up with your dad with a sock on his cock, but he's such a solid guy, though, it seems like. Yeah. It's it, it's bizarre growing up with a teenage daughter when I was still at the peak. Yeah. You know, and I remember going to my daughter's high school. She went to all-girl high school, and I'm in the hallway, and the girl next to her wasn't paying attention, and she opened up her door to her locker, and there's a picture of me on the door. Okay, that's weird. Full picture of me. That right must there. have been really awkward for your daughter. Uh, well, yeah. And my daughter's like, oh, fuck. You know? And I'm just like, and the girl turns around. I'm like, hi. Hi. That's creepy. And she turns like, I'm 30 red. years older. Yeah, exactly. Everclear hit when you were like 32, right? We got signed when I was 32. Okay. It hit when I was like 34, 33, okay. 34. So you're like you're already like through like the hotel track, you know, like you're not you're not like 22 years old throwing furniture out a window. No, you're like but you're I a was a grown man with responsibilities. No, but I was following my addictive behavior, even though it wasn't going into drugs. It was going into sex. Really? Yeah, I was I was horrible. I was sleeping with girls left and right. Wow. Yeah, a lot. What's a lot? About a thousand. A thousand. Yeah. In how many years? Like five. So that's like almost every single day. Well, no, in my life. But, oh, in your life. But, but the, 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 the peak, peak. The peak. Yeah, but I mean, I always have game. But I, yeah, yeah. But fame and money just. Yeah, fame and money is, 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 power is, is a pussy magnet, you know. It is. And it's it, probably it, a dick it, magnet, too. And it attracts crazy pussy as well. It does. But crazy pussy is the best. That's the best pussy. But it's dangerous. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I married one of those. That, that was expensive, <laughs> you but fun. You to pay for it. Man. Yeah. Hitting your peak fame and like having it—that must have been crazy, with a teenage uh, like like that. Well, dynamic. I hit fame when peak fame when she was about seven. Okay, five, you know, seven. But in Portland, where I lived, you know, we had a pretty strong following for a long right. time. So by the time she was like thirteen, fourteen. It was fading, but it was still, you know, everybody knew in town who I was. I was reading somewhere that one of your first videos you had you had Larry Clark direct it. It was one of our first videos. I guess it was our fourth video, right. third or fourth video. Yeah, that was not my call. I was, was like, not, I was like, wow, bold that, choice, man. Yeah, that was not my call. I didn't like the treatment. I didn't like 
where it was going. I didn't like. Did you meet Larry? Of course I did. Yeah, wild he, man. He filmed the video. Yeah. Right. Of course. Of course you met him. Yeah. Like you're filming. What He's I there. I'm here. Yeah. It's like, what am yeah. I thinking? Yeah, of course. Sitting no, I met with him before it. The label really wanted to use him because he was a name. He had done kids. Kids had been out. You know, there was all the thing about him. I wanted to use these unknown guys right. who later on went on to be pretty big, like video makers and filmmakers. But I, I liked their treatment. I thought they had a good treatment, and I wanted to follow the song more and be, or and less, but just have it like be more musical. Right. And the video we made, it was okay. Right. It was cool, but it was. You know, I thought it was trying too hard. That's not really his metier. He wanted it to be because there was a lot of money yeah. in it at the time. You you know, know, and it was the follow-up single to Santa Monica, which was a big song. Which, was that Summerland or? No, it was called uh, Heart Spark Bell or something. Okay. About the black girlfriend. Oh, interesting. So um, you performed it at, at Gitmo. I did. When was that? Mm, 2008. Was that crazy? Well, it wasn't crazy. It was weird. I mean, it was just playing a bass because they wouldn't let me. Oh, that's right. Over there, they right. one they wouldn't let me go to Cuba, which I really wanted to right. do, um, and they wouldn't let me um, see the um, the prisoners. The prisoners. That's a whole different part of the bass. Okay, that's the whole bass. The bass has been there since the Spanish American War. Yeah, since the eighteen nineties. You always forget about there. Like, oh, it's there. So you you do a lot of USO then. I, USO and MWR. What's um, what's MWR? MWR is is USO is a separate organization. Okay. MWR is is the actual organization through the military world relations. That's what like Kid Rock does. And he, I don't know what he does. He, he does a he lot does. of stuff. For the he does a lot of stuff I would never do. So right. <laughs> let's just leave it. Yeah, at all right, that. we'll leave it at that. Killing killing animals. Right. No. Not my thing. Different end uh, of the spectrum. Yeah, there. yeah. No, I, I, I like giving back to the troops. I've, I've been so vehemently anti-war for these wars. I'm not a pacifist. I just think that I thought then, and I think that the Iraq War was just a horrible mistake. But do you, do you see these kids coming home? They got traumatic brain injuries. They got PTSD. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been to Walter Reed many and times. And you can. But can you relate to that in terms of, you know, the context in which... In I don't which... know if it's relate. Can anyone relate to that if you haven't been through it? But... No, but you went through some traumatic shit. Like, it wasn't combat, but... Yeah, but I never got shot at. Yeah, um, well, I did get shot at, but that was usually because I was trying to deal drugs. The thing is, as a parent, I looked at those kids as my kids as right, well. Right, right, okay. And I, my, my whole point is that I've been vehemently anti-war, but vehemently pro-troop. And a lot of people had a problem with that dichotomy, which to me makes total sense. Well, you can be both because it's so, you know, it's exactly people, people are so divorced from service here. It's like there's a war that's being fought and it's being fought by the underclass. And the majority of Americans have no connection to military service members. Absolutely. I, we went to Iraq seven days after Obama was elected. And until you spend time on bases, have you been to bases? Yeah. Okay, there's quite a dichotomy between the officer class, which is primarily white, right? pretty white, more affluent, comes from older money, older military families, and then the rest of the people that are there, the enlisted people, tend to be mostly of color or from lower income backgrounds. And it was interesting to see the dynamic of like all these white 
officers who just looked like someone hit them with a brick because they were going to have to kowtow to a black guy. Right. And all the people that were enlisted were just walking around like they had a secret. They were excited about that they couldn't tell anyone. Right. And I was told from the beginning, do not talk politics. Do not talk about your song, Jesus Was a Democrat. Right. Do not talk about anything to anybody about that. And you can go over there and play for the troops and make very little money. You were flying like Black Hawk helicopters. It was. Would you go to Bagram? Where, like, where did you land? We went to Sat- Satter City. Okay, holy where shit. Where it was hot at the yeah. time. Yeah, we were in Blackhawks. We were in Chinooks. We were in um, C9s. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. So I know you have to get your hair cut. So, you know, I'm going to let I you do. Go. I need to be more blonde. So how many times a year? You, uh, you got to keep that shit blonde. How many times I do, you? but I haven't been lately, and I've kind of been digging the silver fox look. I had this yeah, beard, like yeah. like, kind of like yours, but even grayer right. than yours, and I let it grow out. And my wife was like, I, I was growing it out for a role in a movie, and the movie got pushed back a couple of months so I could shave it. And she's like, uh, no, don't shave that. Don't shave that. <laughs> I go, why? She goes, because you look like the most interesting man in the world. Don't shave that. You know, the guy from the beer? Yeah, because otherwise you have to keep, like, the 90s flavor saver dye. I got got it there, only it's white right now. Do you get tired of it? I'm totally tired of it. Yeah, it's like... But my wife likes it. But do people expect it? It's like, do you have to look like... like... I don't care about that. Right. I care about what my wife likes. Okay. I mean, don't you dress like if your wife tells you to wear a shirt, do you wear the shirt? I don't do anything I'm told. That's that's part of it. See, okay, I've been through four marriages. You should learn from the old. No, I I generally do what I'm told, but it's except you don't like to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no one likes to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I I've learned to lose a battle and win a war. Yeah, that's that's a good call. See, yeah. So when you're on tour though, you gotta like you gotta keep that hair in shape though. It's gotta go blonde. It's gonna go blonde. We'll see. I think I got one more year with the blonde, and then I, hopefully it'll get even whiter. Maybe something traumatic will happen, and my hair will just go white overnight, and I won't have to bleach it anymore. That'd be awesome. All right. So I'm going to let you go because... We didn't even get to me being old enough to drink legally. Wow. I know. Oh, 20th anniversary of Sparkle and Fade right. is coming up. We should probably mention that. Right. It's You've coming got a new up album that's on vinyl. It's on CD, cassette, download, and vinyl. Wow. Yeah. It's called Black is the New Black. Three comes out. out of four mediums that nobody uses anymore, but are still cool. You don't use CDs? Come on. No. Ever? Not anymore. Nothing. Really? All digital. If wow. I could have a cassette tape, I'd fucking use it all the time. Dude. But who's got a cassette player? Nobody. But I want one. <laughs> Actually, my wife does. We have a VW bus, and we found a... Um, <laughs> We found a collection of Chris Christopherson tapes. And wow. We, we just listened. They're on the side of the road in Malibu. Wow. It's like somebody left them there, probably on purpose. Did you enjoy them? And Christopher Cross, too. It was like both Chris's. I think somebody had like... Had a Chris thing going yeah, on? Yeah, the Chris thing. No, I, I, it made me crazy. But it's better than listening to the uh, fucking Ryan Seacrest station with my kids all the time with Jesse J and Ariana Grande and these people. Yeah, I and, just... Yeah, I can't. That's my right. wife listens to that. You give my car, it's rock and roll. Yeah. Same. That's how that goes. Or or talk radio. Yeah, NPR. Football drafts. Yeah, NPR or NFL. You have no choice. All right, Art Alexakis, thank you for coming to the dojo and participating in in this uh, wide-ranging conversation that, that, that we've had. Cool. We should do it again. I think so. Awesome. Good luck, brother. Thanks. Bye.